Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thanks for listening. Heavenly Father, we just pray have your way here today. Lord God, I, I just pray if we've come with a, a bit of a heavy heart or we've come with, with you're not going to talk to me today, God, that He just breaks through. That heaven falls exactly where it needs to fall. On your red chair, on your seat, exactly where it needs to be. Lord God, if we have hearts that are stubborn, if we have minds that are closed, Heavenly Father, I pray that there is a, is a, is a breaking through today. That heaven falls in only the way that heaven can fall. And we can declare that in your mighty name. And they all said, Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Why don't you take a seat? Thank you, worship team. And thank you, Brody. Fantastic. I've heard it said recently that we are living in a time of choice, a time when we get to choose who and what we believe. I was listening to an interview, and the interviewer was asking questions around what we get to believe and what we get to choose. And then he started talking about religion, to which the guest speaker said that somehow we have cultivated a a mentality whereby to give God everything is to admit that our plans aren't good enough. And so instead we've adopted what he called a hybrid Christianity, where you can choose the parts you like and discards the ones you don't. He likened it to a generation living in a post-Christian world, but are hanging on to the story of Christianity just in case. My prayer is that what King Solomon said is that may we be a people who are reminded that many are the plans in the minds of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will ultimately prevail. I want to continue our series called Unqualified. And uh, for those who are new, uh, newer to our church, uh, we have been looking at what it means to serve others. Uh, and we are very deliberate on spending quality time on this series because the, it is the heart of who we are. One of our core values says this, is that we want to be a church that is outward focused with a heart to serve in order that people may see and experience the love of Jesus Christ. I want to thank the tech team. Two weeks ago, we we thanked our growth path team. What I want you to do is that I want you to all turn around and look at the congregation of people sitting in that little box thing back there. Give them a wave. Now I want you to look over to my left-hand side down in the dark corner over here and give Andrew a wave who's sitting over here. You see, the tech team do an amazing job. They've been working for the last two or three months on clearing the stage and using these in-ear thingies, whatever they are, in order that, that the sound is not offensive to you out there, but allows you to be able to worship in the best possible way. And the whole worship team and the tech team, it's a big change. But what I've seen is as they've gone through this change has been a heart of of graciousness towards each other. 
Because there's times when you're standing up here and, and, and Michael Overeem will let go with some ripping C chord and the others are like got a piercing in their ears while they're working it out. But there's been a graciousness. And that's what I love when I look across all of our teams. There's a graciousness that happens in all of our teams that serve. The title of my message today is The Courage to Say But. The Courage to Say But. And I will address the more public events of this week throughout my preach, but only as a reminder of both responsibility and privilege we have to share the full story of good news. I have a pet hate, and it's not chickens. Cats, and it is cats as well. I have a pet hate. I really dislike watching movie trailers. You know, movie trailer, like those two... I feel like I've seen enough of the, of the movie to know who are the heroes, who are the bad dudes, and who needs to harden up. And although it's only a tiny snapshot of the movie, I mean, you know, it goes for two minutes. Most movies are kind of two hours, so it's maybe one or two percent or something like that. The reason I don't like watching the, the, the trailers is because at the end, I have formed an opinion on what the movie's going to be. That's exactly what the movie producers want me to do. It's exactly the reason why they spend, the figure I, quote, I heard quoted, $10 million dollars on a two-minute movie trailer, is because they're doing that. They're taking a risk that they can appeal to the senses of, a, of the paying public by just giving them a snapshot of the movie. The passage of Scripture I want to focus on today is found in the book of Numbers and is the story of how 12 people were asked to serve their nation. And they said yes with their mouths, but their hearts weren't sold on the why. And as a result, the nation was swayed. But to give you some context, I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 2, uh, and I'm going to flick through a little bit there. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, it'll probably come up on the screens, then I'm going to go into chapter 3. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cries rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Chapter 3 verse 1 says this, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mount of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, though the bush was engulfed. That blames it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. Said Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied. Sorry, here I am, Moses replied. Verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I have seen, certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard the cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of the Egypt into their own fertile um, and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amites, all the live. I want you to remember that last point. God already knows what was in the land. 
It was fertile and full of milk and honey and, and goodness. And he also already knew who lived in the land. It's not like God said, uh, sorry, that was a bit of a surprise. But at this point here, God chooses Moses to be part of the story. Now turn with me to Judges chapter 2, verses 10. To what is, I believe, the saddest scripture in the Bible. Judges chapter 2, verses 10. And then we'll be going back to Numbers, which is in the middle. It says this. But finally, all that generation died. And the next generation did not worship Jehovah as their God and did not care about the mighty miracles he had done for Israel. They did many things that the Lord had expressly forbidden, including the worship of heathen gods. They abandoned Jehovah, the God loved and worshipped by their ancestors, the God who had brought them out of Egypt. Instead, they were worshipping and bowing low before the idols of their neighbouring nations. So the anger of the Lord flamed out against all Israel. He left them to the mercy of their enemies. I'm saddened by that scripture because I just don't get it. I am like, hey, Israelites, you were stuck in slavery and God led you out in circumstances whereby you saw the miracle of God every day. Whilst plagues afflicted the Egyptians, you guys walked out with not a scratch on you. You were able to walk between two walls of water which came crashing down on your enemies. You were hungry and you had fresh manna. You were thirsty and Moses hit a stick and water came out, not just a dribble, but enough water to be generous enough for two million people and their livestock. You see, Israelites, you were witness to the power of God at his very, very best, but instead a generation of people died godless and without hope. I'm convicted that if we do not have the courage to stand for Christ, then we run the risk of a generation that does not and will not know the story of redemption. I believe that the time is now for us, the time is before us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in a world that claims to be post-Christian, but is desperately hanging on to it just in case. I've got three learnings on this, and they all use the word but. First one is this, I said yes, but. The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out the 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp. Verse 17, Moses gave these men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. Notice that Moses does not ask them whether or not they think they're capable to do the job. Why? Because God appoints and God anoints. What generally happens at this point, though, is, is that we look for a snapshot of what we're being asked to do. God, can you kind of uh, 
give me that a little bit more detail of where I need to go because if I don't like that part of it, I, I'm probably not going to step into that just for now, if, if that's okay. Well, we just Let's talk about this part of it. I can do this part, no problem at all. I am all over that, God. I've got it. But this part here, yeah, that's kind of not for me. Verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near wherever. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where all of these people were. Verse 23, when they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took them, two of them, to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of pomegranates and figs. There was their problem right there. That place was, that place was called the valley of Eshcol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes that the Israel men cut there. Verse 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel. They reported to them what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent to us to explore, and it is indeed a beautiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, have a look at the grapes we brought back. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But, let's stop there. If you spend enough time looking, you'll always find the but. The richness of the land was irrefutable. God said it to them that this is what it will be. They experienced it of what it would be. But it's almost like those who were, who were tasked with scouting out the land found the story too good to be true. And so there had to be a but. Let me tell you a secret. There will always be a but. Romans 3.23 says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There is always a but. We will never do things perfect. We will never live this life perfectly. For we all have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's Romans 3.23. And if we take a snapshot of that, we might as well just pack up and go home, right? Because it feels like well, we've all sinned, we're all broken, we're all useless. Well, let's just pack up and go home. But that's just a snapshot of the story. Because verse 24 says this, Yet God, or but God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. You can't read verse 23 without taking verse 24 because it's just a snapshot and it makes us depressed. Yet verse 24 says, but God, but God, yet God in his grace will make us right in his sight. Second point is this, but changes minds. The word but changes minds. Author Richard Bach says this, every moment of the day we are witnesses in both words and actions to a mere snapshot of a person's life. Whether riches or poverty, joy or despair, laughter or sadness. So be careful what you do with that snapshot because ultimately you are not informed of the millions of decisions that have led up to that moment of life. If we carry on from where that but said in Numbers 13, but 
The people living there are powerful. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites that live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast and along the Jordan Valley. Verse 30. What's the first word? Let's say it a bit louder. What's the first word? Let's say it a bit louder, people. But, do we not like saying but? Is it a rude word or something? But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Verse 31, the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land amongst the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Numbers 14, verse 1 to 3. Then the whole community, the whole community, 10, 12 men went across. 12 men. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Woe is me. Their voices rose in a great protest against Moses and Aaron. And here's what they said. If only we had died back in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? I am guessing that when those 12 people came back, but let's take out two of them. When they came back, the report they gave to the community was probably a 10-minute report of a 40-day journey. I mean, we don't get every word of what happened there, but it doesn't take much to sit there and say, well, there's a land full of Johnny. They changed the hearts and minds of a nation. Even though God had already set it up beforehand, even though God already knew they lived there, even though that there was a land full of milk and honey, even though that on a, on a journey they had experienced manna, they'd experienced water, they'd experienced getting out of slavery, they'd experienced the miracles of God, in a 10-minute report, they changed the hearts and the mindset of a nation. In the book of James, he warns us that the tiniest of spark can start a forest fire. And that the same tongue which we praise and worship our gods with can be used to curse those who have been made in the very image of God. I am not a Snapchatter, but I do use Instagram and Facebook. And it is based upon the premise of creating images whereby others can step into moments of our life. And that is exactly why we post our very best shots. Because if we're inviting people to, to take a snapshot of our life, we want to give them the best material to work with, right? We're guilty as a church. How many times do we clear out all the chairs and send a photo through of empty chairs? It was a great service today. No one turned up. Ripping atmosphere. Can you imagine if Instagram was around in the day of Joseph? If he had posted a photo of himself being thrown in the pits, here I am in the pits. My brothers hate me. Not sure how I'm going to get out of this one. 
And then a few weeks later, or however long it was, there's a photo of him in jail. It's me. Potiphar's wife didn't like jail too Can you imagine if those were the two snapshots of life that we took for Joseph? If you had no understanding of who Joseph was, and they were your two snapshots of life, a man who was hated by his brothers and thrown in a pit, and a man who was thrown in jail because uh, Potiphar's wife accused him. But see, the whole story is a man who had authority in the whole nation. You see, the third snapshot would be him in the palace with authority over the whole nation. In a time of famine, in a time of brokenness, he saved the nation. There will be a generation of people who have a snapshot of who Pastor Phil is and what C3 is all about. And it will be based on two 15-minute TV segments that focused on a Google map of where he travels and what shoes he wears. They're Windsor Smiths. They will focus on 10 to 15 second grabs of messages that normally go for 40 minutes. They were taken from about nine different messages that he had preached. See, the snapshot will tell you that. The story will tell you of a man who has been preaching for 42 years, up to 200 times a year. Christmas messages, Easter messages, messages on giving, messages on deliverance, messages on creation, messages on the love of God, messages in small community halls and messages in major coliseums. See, the whole story will tell you of messages that have seen hundreds and thousands of people come to Christ because of a man who was obedient to deliver the message. Although the fruit was plentiful and the lamb was fertile, the snapshot report of 10 men took a nation who stood on the brink of the promised land into a tailspin that they would never recover from. That judge's passage said that the whole generation died. The whole generation died. They stood on the brink of a promised land. They were not perfect people. Pastor Phil is not a perfect person. The movement is not perfect. They stood on the brink of the promised land. Yet judges too tell us that a whole generation died because of a 10-minute report that told them that they couldn't do it. Thanks, guys. A third point is this. Have the courage to say but. Have the courage to say but. I'm not going to use the pulpit to defend Pastor Phil. In fact, he would be quite upset if I did. Why? Because instead he would want me to use every minute that I have to preach the gospel and inspire people to have the courage to say but.
There was a verse in that last scripture. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. As followers of Jesus, we will stand out from the crowd. Tick. We will stand out from the crowd. If you declare that Jesus is Lord of your life and your actions will show it, you will stand out from the crowd. I heard it once said, those lacking courage will see you walk on water and tell others it's because you can't swim. If we believe what is being said, If we believe what is being said in the world today, if we believe what our peers will want to tell us, we will see a generation that will believe in a snapshot of Jesus born in a manger with little farm animals around him, a couple of burly shepherds rocking up, You see, because our generation is okay with that snapshot. Because it's the birth of Christ and it's it's Christmas time. And they're also actually okay with this. But you see, Jesus dying on the cross is just a snapshot. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But Jesus dying on the cross is just a snapshot. And people will accept that and receive that. They'll wear a cross around their neck. They'll have it tattooed. They'll wear an earring with a cross. Silky white linen and a big stone rolled in front of him. But you see, they're snapshots. The story is that the stone was rolled away. That God sent His Son. He was born in a manger. He grew. He lived a life as a human. He taught. He led. He equipped. He empowered people. He died on a cross and He took our brokenness and our sins with Him all the way down. And then three days later, When he's laying in a tomb, the stone is rolled away. You see, this is the story. The stone is rolled away. And when he rises, he rises victorious. That's the story. That's the story. That's what we believe as a church. That Jesus is center, that we are spirit-led. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. John, can we get into that bridge part of that song? Because I want to take a moment right now 
and individually where you are, each and every person. I want you to just to do something for me. You've come here today and some may not know where you're at with God and that's okay. But we cannot let today go without each and every person asking themselves the question, God, where am I today? Am I going to accept a snapshot Christianity in my life or am I going to have the courage to say, but? Am I going to have the courage to look at the whole story? Am I going to have the courage to to break out? I will fall. I will get things wrong. I will sin. But verse 34 said, but by the grace of God, I will be redeemed. So we're going to sing this, this bridge part. We're going to sing this bridge part. In just a moment. But I'm going to finish by reading words that I, I wrote for our vision builders. That I wrote to remind myself of God's love for the church. For us. And as I read these, if God has been speaking to you today and you say enough is enough is enough, I want to take, I want to step into the fullness of what you have for me, God. I'm going to ask you just where you are. You may have been on a faith journey for 40 years. You may be taking your first step today. I want you to just come forward on the altar. Just as I read these words, just come forward. If you're saying, I'm tired of just living a snapshot life, I want to look at the whole story of who you are in my life, God. Then just come forward. Just as I read these words. What if I told you a vision of what a church should be? Not just a description, but a direction. A vision that is not framed in the limits of standing behind a crowd, but a congregation that is prepared to clear a pathway in order that others can find Jesus. A crowd, that a church that recognises that by its very essence, we have a purpose and we celebrate that we are part of His plan and His future. What if I told you of a church that is built on the foundations of being Jesus-centred and Spirit-led, having a ferocious faith and a belief that in Him all had to go into the laneways and the byways knowing that we are strengthened by our diversity and embrace our authenticity. What if I told you of a church that has a passion to empower young men and women, equipping and ultimately releasing them into being kingdom ambassadors, wherever God may call them, encouraging leaders that aren't afraid to clear the crowd, to speak up in order that others may find Jesus. A church that celebrates as people step up and step out. What if I told you of a church that has a passion to take ground, establish a base in communities where we can break open strongholds, bring forth worship, embrace fellowship, to be a city on a hill, to be a light in the dark, to be a church that engages in the very presence of God, a church that has a voice, a church that has a bold faith. What if I told you of a church that its very core embraces the principles that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, a church that dares to dream and in practice is committing to seeing others thrive. A church whereby its trademark is to be aggressive but not arrogant, honoured yet humble, passionate about purpose. What if I told you about a church that its very fabric is committed to reaching the one? A church that is committed to those who are despised by the crowd, are despised by the generation, 
despised by the community, but a church that doesn't matter, a church that is sold out and prepared to surrender all. Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more, you can find us at c3hobart.org.au.